Spoiler alert, this podcast is covering the children's novel, The Ice Dragon by George R.R. Martin, and its context with a Song of Ice and Fire series proper, as well as the Game of Thrones television show through season six. If you're not caught up with all of these things, wow, you got a ton of stuff to do. Come back after you've finished all of that, and we'll be happy to be here for you. Dedicated to George R.R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, you're listening to Podcast Winterfell. And now, here's your host, Matt Murdock. Does Cersei Lannister look like that one beautiful woman at an elegant party that everyone avoids because they all know she's bat bleep crazy? Does Stannis Baratheon look like a city councilman sternly trying to convince anyone who will listen that the aging city square clock is in need of repair? Does he also look like he might become visibly frustrated when each person instead wants to talk to him about the city's baseball team chances to get a new stadium? Does the hound look like the drunk guy at your local bar and grill who screams free bird between every song at the guy trying to entertain the establishment's patrons with just an acoustic guitar? Hey everybody, Matt Murdock here with you. I know I keep saying I'm leaving the podcast and yet here I am. I'm, I'm keep coming back all of the time. Uh, but I'm recording this on the 4th of July today and I'm in the somewhat restrictive, not nearly as expansive as it used to be, Double M Studios. And then I'm, after I record this, I'll be submitting it to the new owners of Podcast Winterfell for review slash posting. So if you do get to hear this, I'll just say that I hope our U.S. listeners enjoyed a happy and safe holiday. And for the rest of the world, I guess I hope you enjoyed your opening week of Wimbledon. By the way, I am once again here on behalf of Podcast Winterfell, which you can find at podcastwinterfell.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, including your social media and contact links and those podcast app links. Please take the time to leave the podcast a written review on whatever podcast app you use. You have no idea how much that helps the podcast stay more noticeable among the three or four billion other Game of Thrones podcasts that are out there. And Podcast Winterfell is also part of the DVR Podcasting Network, which is where you can find several podcasts on great television shows like The Leftovers, Westworld, Lost, and you can also find other variety podcasts talking about a variety of films and TV like The Film List. Check it all out at DVRpodcast.com. And just to remind you that what's coming up for this podcast, according to our friends uh, who have taken over this podcast, uh, after Game of Thrones starts on July 16th, our friends from the Small Council will be taking this podcast Winterfell feed over. And each and every week, you will get First, an initial reaction podcast from Axel Foley and Heath Snowlow. And then DJ Tim Hines is going to do one of my favorite things to do. He's going to host fan call-in shows. So just like we used to have fan call-in shows before, DJ Tim Hines is going to be taking over that chair and bringing you a fan call-in podcast. And finally, a little later on in the week, Mike, Tracy, and Donald will give you a third podcast to kind of analyze the events of the episode after maybe it's had a little more time to sink in. But I got to tell you, honestly, today's podcast has very little to do with season seven. Well, maybe a little, but it's not really going to be focused on anything season seven. I've not had time to really dive deep into the trailers or anything like that. I have watched them. I have enjoyed them. 
but I don't want to discuss what I think it means or break down every shot for you. I mean, there's lots of podcasts out there doing that, and they do a much better job than I could. Uh, And I know we're all getting excited about the television show and everything, but instead, I kind of want to go in a completely opposite direction. I, I want to talk about a convention of George R. Martin's that has been discussed by a Song of Ice and Fire enthusiast really for years now, and I'm talking about ice dragons. And it's a concept of George R. R. Martin's that was first introduced in a children's book, I mean, years before the publishing of Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones, of course, is what launched the A Song of Ice and Fire series proper. But this book is entitled The Ice Dragon, and it was first published in 1980 and then republished again in 2007 with actual detailed pencil drawing illustrations from Yvonne Gilbert. The book itself has like eight short chapters, and it was written in a poetic style. But here's something interesting. While publishers like to say that the Ice Dragon is set in the same world as the Song of Ice and Fire, Martin has refuted a connection on his Not a Blog. And we're going to touch on that in a moment. But first, just in case you you don't have 20 spare minutes to read the Ice Dragon, uh, this little children's story, here's a brief summary for you. A Summary of the Ice Dragon, a children's book written by George R. R. Martin. The little girl Adara was born in a long winter with the worst freezing anyone could remember. Her mother died bringing her into the world. Adara loves the winter and feels attracted to the cold, preferring to play with snow and ice and ice lizards. Her skin is always cold to the touch. She feels that an ice dragon has always been in her life. When she was four she touched an ice dragon for the first time, and she rode upon its broad chilled back for the first time in her fifth year. The people of her town fear the ice dragon, said to be an untamed creature of legend. When it flies overhead, it leaves a desolate cold and frozen land. Adara is not afraid of the ice dragon, for she is a winter child. When Adara is seven fiery dragons from the north come and swoop down upon the peaceful farm that is Adara's home. She and her ice dragon fly towards them and the ice dragon fights the other dragons in order to protect Adara and her family. The ice dragon defeats the fire dragons, but afterwards the ice dragon is nowhere to be seen. Only a pond that had never been there before, a small quiet pool where the water is very cold. After the disappearance of the ice dragon the cold leaves Adara. She is then finally able to smile, laugh and weep like other little girls. So it's a cool, pun intended, little story about a girl growing up and overcoming her kind of emotional coolness, so to speak. Keep using that cool pun. But there's a physical element. And of course, there's even a magical element to this story as well. It's a great children's book, but let's get back to this disagreement as to whether it's part of the world in A Song of Ice and Fire or not. I think if you read the story, you're going to find a few key clues that will tell you that this world and the world of A Song of Ice and Fire are not the same, just like George says. But I think the most important thing to see here for us A Song of Ice and Fire fans are that elements of this story maybe George changed a little bit or kind of honed in his notion after he wrote this in 1980 and he kind of brought some of these concepts 
into the Song of Ice and Fire world after he'd tweaked them a little bit. And that's why we're taking a look at this story. First, though, I want to get to this key evidence from the story that, that proves that this world is not like Westeros or Essos or really anywhere in the Song of Ice and Fire world, and that it's not really part of a Song of Ice and Fire history either. What do we know about the seasons in, say, Westeros? We know that summers can last years, and so can winters, or and so can falls, and so can springs. And yet, in this particular story, when you read it, you quickly realize that the seasons happen with a regular interval, and they coincide with our main hero's birthday, Adara. Here's the quote from the book that really tells you everything you need to know. From the Ice Dragon Chapter 1, Winter's Child So long as the cold and the snow and the ice dragon all arrived on schedule she was happy. She always knew when they were due because of her birthday. Now, in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire, we know that birthdays occur once a year. And whatever a year is in that world doesn't really matter. Because we also know that there are many times that a person in our canon, A Song of Ice and Fire world, experienced multiple birthdays before the changing of the seasons. And so, if winter always comes around Adara's birthday, and assuming that they have a birthday once a year in this world too, and I don't know why you'd make it more complicated than that for a children's story, then you realize that the climatology of this world that Adara lives in in this children's story is completely different than the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. And that is the key to telling us that George is to be believed and not these publishers, right? I mean, the fact that she every time she has her birthday, it's around the winter time. And since that happens once a year, we don't have once a year winters in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. We have, you know, seven year winters. We have winters that last a whole generation and such. And that's the, that's the key difference. And George should be believed as opposed to the publishers. I, I'm imagining that the publishers probably just kind of said that to increase the sales of their book, right? I mean, heck, I, I bought it on Kindle and I read it, right? So it increased the sales with me because a publisher probably noted that or because I'd heard about this debate as to whether it was part of A Song of Ice and Fire or not. I wanted to find out for myself. And right there in the book is the evidence, well, just with the way that the seasons fall in this world of the ice dragon as opposed to the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. Also note that in the book, and I don't have the quote recorded here, but um, the ice dragon story tells us that there are at least two warring kingdoms seemingly on the same continent, and both of them have fire dragons. They both have fire dragon arsenals. So this would exclude Westeros, of course, because the only time that dragons uh, in the scheme of Westeros history have really been here, it was a very short period of time since Aegon the Conqueror came till the time that all of the dragons died. Um, and there was only one ruling factor uh, throughout Westeros that ever had dragons in our in the A Song of Ice and Fire's history. So that tells you all you need to know that say that, no, this isn't uh, really part of the A Song of Ice and Fire world. So you might be saying, okay, so if it isn't part of A Song of Ice and Fire, then why the heck would an A Song of Ice and Fire podcast even be talking about the bleeping thing? I mean, we don't talk about George's other projects like Wild Cards, so why this book? And as I kind of alluded to earlier, the answer to that is pretty simple. 
even though this story was originally published more than a decade and a half before Game of Thrones ever came out. I think there are some concepts that were introduced in this book that George later refined and brought into the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. Think about this. Adara herself, this character, in the first couple of chapters is explained to us that she is physically cold to the touch. Like she can handle creatures like what uh, George calls ice lizards that other children can't because the, the other children have warmth that melts the little buggers. And Adara, she alone seems to be able to interact with ice dragons, which causes freezing deaths among most animals or even humans. Uh, she is considered, quote, winter's child. And when you couple her coldness with the way that the ice dragons themselves are perceived to be by all of the rest of the people, you come up with something that actually sounds a little bit familiar. Listen to this quote from the ice dragon. From the Ice Dragon, Chapter 2, Secrets in the Snow. The ice dragon breathed cold. Ice formed when it breathed. Warmth fled. Fires guttered and went out, shriven by the chill. Trees froze through to their slow secret souls, and their limbs turned brittle and cracked from their own weight. Animals turned blue and whimpered and died, their eyes bulging and their skin covered over with frost. The ice dragon breathed death into the world death and quiet and cold. But Adara was not afraid. She was a winter child, and the ice dragon was her secret. Bringing death and cold into a world? And a girl that can endure the cold that most humans cannot? This actually may be the origin of the concept of the White Walkers to me, though I, I admit I've done no research to prove as much, but it, it seems to me that the concepts are very similar. Now, I'm, I think I'm going to dive into the TV show for just a second because uh, some, of, some of the stuff that we learned in season six, I think, is pretty applicable here. Um, if you think about the TV show and even the discussions that Donald and I had about the White Walkers in podcast Winterfell 309, this Ice Dragon story ends with Adara having become pretty much a regular little girl after her emotions finally come through for her father. She's unable to cry up until the time that she felt that her father was in mortal peril um, and was cold up until that point. And then when she was finally able to cry, then she returned to being a normal person. Now, you think about season six and the magic of the children of the forest, they turned ordinary men into cold, ruthless, and perhaps emotionless beings. Like Adara. Now, now, I'm not saying that Adara is a White Walker. I'm just saying that she might have been the prototype uh, for what George ultimately came up with as a White Walker. I mean, is it possible that if we think about it from just this emotional aspect, if we could make the White Walkers feel, could that be the solution to defeating the White Walkers in our A Song of Ice and Fire world? I actually don't think so because it feels like the, the, the White Walkers feel emotion anyway. The Night King did exhibit some bravado at Hardhome. But I just thought I'd put that out there, that it, it just seems like the notion of the White Walkers, which bring terrible cold with them, just like the ice dragon in this story, and the White Walkers, which have human origins but have become colder than humanly possible, just like Adara was in the beginning of this story, it seems to imply that this story kind of helped George 
to conceptualize the villains in the story that we know as the White Walkers or the others. Regardless of whether the solution, as it was for Adara, would work on the others or the White Walkers or not. But here's the thing. This is a children's story, right? And lo and behold, it seems that this is the kind of children's story that nannies all over Westeros, just like old Nan in Winterfell, within our proper A Song of Ice and Fire world, tell to children. Ice Dragon is mentioned several times in A Song of Ice and Fire proper and The World of Ice and Fire, 13 times, actually, but not always as a creature. So is it possible that they could exist or have existed in the proper A Song of Ice and Fire world at one point in this world's history? Is it possible that when Old Nan talks about like ice spiders and such that we hope to see in this great battle between man and the White Walkers to come, are the ice spiders just as invalid as the possibility of an ice dragon, depending on which side of the coin you're flipping on here, about whether ice dragons exist in the Song of Ice and Fire world? And... I don't think it would have been anything more than a story that Old Nan told to John or to any of the other children until we got to the world of ice and fire. Out of all of the many mentions, the 13, several are the ice dragon constellation. And that constellation is kind of like our own North Star in a way, I guess. But there are seven mentions of the ice dragon as kind of a mythical creature throughout the series. And uh, most of them are John thinking about old stories that old man used to tell. But two of those that are in the world of ice and fire starts to make you wonder that if it's possible that even if this particular children's story isn't part of our proper A Song of Ice and Fire world, the A Song of Ice and Fire world may have its own ice dragons. So here are some quotes from A Song of Ice and Fire series of books, including the world of ice and fire. And again, most of them in the story itself are just John remembering the tales that Old Nan told him about ice dragons. But the world of ice and fire quotes might make you think that just like Old Nan told about the White Walkers, Debran, which ended up being true, even though Ned Stark believed them to be extinct, there, there might be some underlying historical truth in the tales of ice dragons in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire proper. So let's listen to these quotes about ice dragons and then we'll discuss it. From a storm of swords, John 8. The ice pressed close around them, and he could feel the cold seeping into his bones, the weight of the wall above his head. It felt like walking down the gullet of an ice dragon. From a dance with dragons, John 7. They rode the winch lift back to the ground. The wind was gusting, cold as the breath of the ice dragon in the tales old man had told when John was a boy from a dance with dragons, John 8. The road beneath the wall was as dark and cold as the belly of an ice dragon, and as twisty as a serpent. From a dance with dragons, John 10. The snowfall was light today, a thin scattering of flakes dancing in the air, but the wind was blowing from the east along the wall, cold as the breath of the ice dragon in the tales old men used to tell. From the world of ice and fire, beyond the free cities, the Shivering Sea Of all the queer and fabulous denizens of the Shivering Sea, their greatest are the ice dragons. These colossal beasts, many times larger than the dragons of Valyria, are said to be made of living ice, with eyes of pale blue crystal and vast translucent wings through which the moon and stars can be glimpsed as they wheel across the sky. 
whereas common dragons, if any dragon can truly be said to be common, breathe flame, ice dragons supposedly breathe cold, a chill so terrible that it can freeze a man solid in half a heartbeat. From the world of ice and fire, beyond the free cities, the shivering sea. Sailors from half a hundred nations have glimpsed these great beasts over the centuries, so mayhaps there is some truth behind the tales. Archmaester Margate has suggested that many legends of the North, freezing mists, ice ships, Cannibal Bay, and the like, can be explained as distorted reports of ice dragon activity. Though an amusing notion, and not without a certain elegance, this remains the purest conjecture. As ice dragons supposedly melt when slain, no actual proof of their existence has ever been found. Again, most of the John quotes seem to be mostly derived from the tales given to him by Old Nan, which may or may not be true. But the World of Ice and Fire quotes kind of give everything a little more credence. Not complete credence, mind you, but at least a little more credence to the idea that they might actually exist in the world of ice and fire, or there might be a possibility that they exist in the world of ice and fire. Now, the maesters do tend to play it off as they do about many things in these books, just to, you know, show, I, I almost feel like George is trying to show just how dumb the maesters are or how in the dark they are about the real world, right? But they do play it off as kind of just like this minute possibility, but they don't completely close the door on the prospect either. And when you listen to that last quote from the world of ice and fire, where they say that the ice dragon melts after dying again, it takes you back to something that happened in this original ice dragon children's story. Let's listen to that quote. From the ice dragon chapter seven, cold theory, only the huge dark corpses of three war dragons and the smaller bodies of three dragon riders in black and orange, and a pond that had never been there before. A small quiet pool where the water was very cold. So, a pool of very cold water is seemingly where the ice dragon in this particular children's story melted after dying. In other words... When you couple that with the world of ice and fire belief that an ice dragon's melting after death, you, you kind of get the idea that here is another idea that George has taken directly from this children's book and brought into the A Song of Ice and Fire world proper. Quick, crazy crackpot theory. The shivering sea is just a bunch of dead ice dragons. No? Okay. Uh, so what does this all mean in the end? Anything? Does it mean nothing? Is it somewhere in between? I know that there are some theories out there that want to believe that because of one or two of the John quotes, there may actually be an ice dragon within the wall itself. Now, I personally don't believe this. And even if it was true, I can't believe that that would be much of a help to man versus white walkers. It certainly would make uh, the peril towards man greater if the ice dragon could be controlled by the white walkers. But even if the ice dragon could be controlled by man... I mean, what effect is cold going to have on the White Walkers? They bring the cold themselves, right? So I, I just do feel like that the, the ice dragons could be a, a further detriment to the cause of man. But what I do believe is, as opposed to looking at the ice dragon story as a context for something that might happen in our beloved canon series, 
we should instead look for some type of metaphorical context of an ice dragon in our story proper. If you think about it, uh, Danny's dragons, what if one of them were killed somehow and then was controlled by the Night King? That would be something interesting to happen. And you can look at that either from the television show or A Song of Ice and Fire because you have to figure that um, at some point, if the television shows any indication, Danny is actually going to make it to Westeros in A Song of Ice and Fire. I do have one last quote to give you from the children's book, just with a little bit of further context to what I was just talking about with uh, dragons and uh, this ice dragon and the possibility of the White Walkers uh, controlling a dragon. From the Ice Dragon Chapter 1, Winter's Child It was only in the summer that Uncle Hal, their father's younger brother, came to call. Hal was a dragon rider in service to the king, a tall slender man with a face like a noble. Dragons cannot stand the cold, so when winter would fall, Hal and his wing would fly south. Dragons cannot stand the cold, and that's the key line that I'm grabbing from this. And I'm going to be completely speculating here, so just let me let you know that I'm just totally guessing. There's no evidence to support anything that I'm saying, um, and I'm not going to boast about guessing right if it were to happen. Uh, but this whole dragons don't do well in the cold, if that holds true in A Song of Ice and Fire proper, imagine that one of Danny's dragons fail because uh, it succumbs to the cold. What if it dies in the cold and... and could, if once it's dead, could the Night King reanimate it just like it reanimates a lot of the dead? Horses, men, who knows? There may be white walker, there may be white bears out there. And, and can you imagine if a dragon were a white, I mean, a zombie dragon serving the Night's King? That, that could cause some real havoc. Questions would be, would the dragon still be breathing fire? I would guess so. And, and that might be, you know, the Night King would have to put it way out far, far out in front and do a lot of, uh, uh, let the dragon do a whole lot of killing uh, on its own because I don't think the White Walkers would need to be near fire, right? Uh, but they could cause great destruction. And then the White Walkers, naturally, just like the Ice Dragon does in this story, this children's story, the White Walkers bring the cold with them. So that kills off all of the heat and all of the fires and all of that stuff, just like we heard about fires going out and that. And that's what the White Walkers do. And so they just keep sending the dragon down to kill everything, and they just come up from behind and, and make everything cold and then uh, reanimate whatever they need. Or maybe a white-slash-zombie dragon under the control of the Night's King can become something that breathes coal instead of fire. I have no idea, you know. I, I, I'm just somewhat recklessly speculating, so feel free to laugh at me. I just love going down this stuff. But what logic does tell me is that Danny's dragons could most likely wipe out the White Walkers and the White Army with a fair amount of ease, one would think. So we need some kind of equalizer in the story to put man more at peril. Um, when she does arrive at Westeros, you know, she's going to bring her dragons to take on the White Walkers. Like she could easily melt them. But if the dragons don't do so well in the cold and the White Walkers are bringing the cold, what if one of her dragons dies? And could that be used against the force of man by the Night King? Even if you don't think about it breathing cold or becoming ice-like, uh, if the dragon is working for the Night King, it kind of 
at least metaphorically, can be considered an ice dragon, right? And I know there's a lot more questions than answers in regard to this subject, and I don't have any of the answers. I just liked exploring this story to see some of the origins uh, for ideas that George may have had uh, for this A Song of Ice and Fire saga as he went along. And it's it's fun to see the mentions. Again, constellation, uh, which means that, it, you know, a lot of the constellations that we have are named after big, great stories or whatever. We have uh, a lot of Greek gods and, and that kind of thing in our sky. Um, so the ice dragon is, is something that has been a, a story that has been told as long as people have been naming stars, evidently, in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, do they really exist? No one knows. Will we ever see them? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, just t- tough to tell at this point as far as this Song of Ice and Fire or the uh, television show world goes. But I thank you for taking the time and giving your consideration and exploring these possibilities with me. And I guess with that, I'm just going to leave you to ponder your own possibilities. Thanks for staying with Podcast Winterfell. Enjoy Season 7. Stay subscribed for three Game of Thrones podcasts each week during Season 7 from the guys. Again, Axel and Heath are giving you an initial reaction. You'll get information from DJ Tim Hines, how to call in and participate in a fan call-in show. And Donald, Mike, and Tracy are going to give you a more considered podcast later on in the week as well. Three podcasts a week for each of the seven episodes to come in Season 7 of Game of Thrones. I'll be on the road. I hope to get to call into like a fan call-in show or something like that. But uh, I don't know how many podcasts I'll be able to participate because July is getting busy. And I thank you for staying with the podcast. Take care. You've been listening to Podcast Winterfell. Find the podcast blog at podcastwinterfell.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter, twitter.com slash winterfellpod. Contact the podcast either by email, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com, or by calling the listener line, 314-669-1840.